The Faithful Fanatic is live. Marco and I are getting ready to maturely and cautiously break down the 49ers 34 to 24 loss against the Bills. The team is now 5 and 7. Their playoff hopes are mathematically still alive. The season's not over just yet. We're going to have some fun tonight. It's wine night. Wine night for Marco and I. Marco, what are you sipping yes, on? Sir, I'm sipping on some winking owls uh, from E&J Gallo. Uh, the, so, I'm, so Nick didn't know, but I'm from Modesto, and E&J Gallo pretty much owns Modesto, um, and it's the biggest winery in the world. So sipping on some of that tonight. There you go. And I knew you were from Modesto. I didn't know that EJ Gallo is the biggest winery in the world. I'll show you guys what I'm sipping on tonight. This is as elegant as it gets. This is the Charles Schwa Trader Joe's bottle. If you go to Trader Joe's, you got to pick up a couple two-buck chucks. You know what I'm saying? And I'm no wine connoisseur by any stretch of the imagination. I had a look up how to pronounce that. It's Shiraz. I'm drinking some Shiraz, which is wine made in Australia. I had to look that up, find that out. But we're going to have some fun tonight. We're breaking down the 49ers 24 to 34 loss against the Bills. Marco, what's your biggest takeaway from the game? I wasn't surprised from the outcome of the game, unfortunately. Um I really wanted us to win, obviously. I want us to make the playoffs and I want us to be a playoff team because it, it builds a culture and keeps that culture going. Unfortunately, um, I knew we were playing Josh Allen. Um, I knew that McDermott is a good defensive coordinator style of coach. Um, so I knew he was going to stack the box and force Nick Mullins to throw the ball, uh, force him to do things he's uncomfortable with. And uh, I didn't think our running game was going to get going. Um, my stat for us to win, I had tweeted out, was 150 rushing yards on 30-plus carries. Um, it's a lot of rushing yards, but that's how you keep the ball out of Josh Allen's hands. 49ers can get anything going offensively, and, and that's what happens when you give the ball to an elite quarterback. Yeah. My biggest takeaway from this game is I want a Brian Allen – or, excuse me, Josh Allen. Josh I Allen. want Josh Allen so badly. What this game was reminiscent of for me was when the 49ers played the Chiefs in 2018. It was Cat Patrick Mahomes' first year starting – he started that one time in 2017 after they clinched a playoff spot, but it was his third game starting of the 2018 regular season. The Chiefs dropped 35 points on the 49ers in the first half. And when I was watching that game, I was just thinking to myself, wow, there's nothing this defense can do to slow down Patrick Mahomes in this Chiefs offense. And last night watching Josh Allen and the Bills offense, it gave me very similar vibes. The 49ers defense was just helpless. Josh Allen is phenomenal. I want a Josh Allen. I want a quarterback who stands six foot four, six foot five, is 225 plus pounds, has the arm with the extendo on it. I just don't want a strong arm quarterback. I want the quarterback with the extendo. Give me the whole thing that can fire across the entire field. That's what I want. Jimmy Garoppolo, you can win with him, but he's not the desired NFL quarterback going into 2021. He's not. He is not. I'm ready to turn the page, find the 49ers' own Josh Allen, their own Patrick Mahomes. Of course, these guys don't. Yes. These guys don't grow yes. up. Yes, you. Trey Lance. Trey Lance is live. I'm willing to bet. If I had to put money on either side of this, I'm saying it's not the real Trey Lance. If it is 
the real Trey Lance. Trey right. Lance, thank you so much for tuning in to the Fanatic. We want you here in San Francisco. What's crazy to me about Trey Lance is he's only 20 years old. He's 20 years old, six foot four, 225 pounds. I'm willing to gamble on him. We'll get into future quarterback stuff later on this episode, but Trey Lance is the most ideal quarterback for me because he has all those desirable physical traits. Let's see, jump for, into this game right after you give your take on the quarterback situation. See, for for, for that quarterback situation, I, I've been high, super high on Trey Lance. Um, unfortunately, I have him at quarterback two. Everyone has him at quarterback four, quarterback three. Um, I think he, he's super-duper smart. Um, he's been accepted at Ivy League schools. He chose to stay home and go to North, uh, North Dakota State. That offense he runs is a similar style offense that the 49ers run, a West Coast-style offense. They run a lot of the, the wide leagues that Kyle Shanahan runs. So I personally want Trey Lance. He has a rocket arm. He stands six foot four, weighing 225. He'll run you over. He's really mobile, has a rocket arm. That's my quarterback that I hope the 49ers should get. And with his no season, he might fall to the 49ers. But let's get into this uh, this film, or not film, but yep. game. How's it going, and Jay shout Schultz? Shout out, Jay Schultz. Shout out to all of our faithful fanatic listeners that tune in on the rig. Yeah, let's jump into this game. The Bills were so good. So good offensively. There was nothing Robert Sala could do. The 49ers were defenseless defensively, had nothing to turn to. Let's start off on the offensive side of the ball, though, how we normally would go. You want me to kick things off giving out quarterback grades? Uh, yeah, you go ahead because you'll, you'll probably All have right. a little bit more positive than I do on Nick Let's, Mullins. Yeah, Nick Mullins. Well, I'm not overly high on Nick Mullins' performance. I'm in the minority group that actually believes he played better against the Rams than he played against the Bills. What I saw against the Bills is a quarterback that missed a lot of throws with a clean pocket. And I expect Nick Mullins to be able to hit a higher percentage of throws when his pocket's clean. For example, after Tevin Coleman lost nine yards on that first drive of the second half that had a lot of momentum going, he had Jordan Reed running an out route towards the boundary, and he overthrew him by four or five yards. If he puts that ball where it was supposed to go, you have an opportunity right there to move the chains. It's not for certain he would have picked up a first down, but at least it gives him the opportunity to get to the chains. And then the next drive or whenever the drive came with the Brandon Ayuk interception, he was completely off that drive. He had a bad pass to Ayuk or Debo Samuel, whichever one play the play prior to that pick. And yes, you can put blame on Ayuk for the interception because the ball hit him in the hands. And you know, the cliche, if the ball hits your hands, you got to catch it. But that ball could have been thrown in a better spot. Mullins gets a B minus from me. He's a backup. So, you know, he's not going to hit every single throw, but I really thought he did not play his best game. And I liked his performance against the Rams more than what I saw last night against the Bills. For me, um, I thought Nick Mullins played much better than he normally does. Um, he had his times where he looked he looked like he was slinging the ball around, but he also had his points where he's extremely inaccurate and inconsistent. Mm -hmm. um, Kendrick Bourne should have had a touchdown. What happened is he every throw he throws is behind everyone. When you throw behind KB, doesn't allow him to turn and get upfield and get that touchdown. Um, that's one of the ones that comes out to me. Another one that comes out is uh, 
the one to the interception through Jeff Wilson Jr. Again, behind him. I think Nick Mullins had a better game than he did against the Rams. Um, but you can't win with quarterbacks like Nick Mullins in the NFL. Um, I Exactly what I had thought is McDermott's going to dare Nick Mullins to throw the ball. He's going to stack the box. He's going to take away all the running lanes. And that's exactly what he did. So that's why the Nick Mullins stat line was, I believe he threw 300 yards. Um, but the stat line does not show the picture. So I gave Nick Mullins a C grade. An average, that's what he is, a backup quarterback average. Can't win you games, but he he could definitely lose you games. So he needs to stay very clean. And so I just give him a C grade. Yeah, we're not too far off. You're giving him a C. I'm giving him a B minus. Again, I'm not too high on what he did last night, how he performed. Let's jump into the running backs. You go ahead and kick us off here. So for the running backs, there, there was no, no, no run lanes for them to go. Um, and that's because when you have when you're facing an eight man front, you're not going to have anywhere to run the ball. Um, they made more from what they had. Um, I believe Jeff Wilson Jr. averaged a lot more, not a lot more yards per carry, but he averaged more yards per carry than uh, Raheem Mostert. And for me, I was I was listening to I forgot who it was, but they were talking head coach. He, I know for sure he was a head coach, and they were talking about um, the yards per carry is more important than the amount of yards you run for. Because what that shows is you're being dominant when you run the ball. So that shows that you're doing whatever you want on offense. So let's say if a team runs 160 yards, but they're only averaging two yards a carry, they're not dominant at all. They're just running the ball hella times. Um, So I think the 49ers should have stuck to the run a lot more than than what they did. But then you have to go away from it when you're facing eight-man fronts and you have to force Nick Mullins to say, hey, Make a throw over the middle to Brandon Ayuk, and he couldn't do that. He couldn't make the throws that he needed to make, So, which made the running backs a lot worse. But for that, I give them a B because you can't expect much from running backs when they're against a stacked box. We're in agreement here. I also gave the running backs a B, and I have the stat line. So Jeff Wilson Jr., seven carries, 47 yards, average 6.1 yards per carry. Wilson was very effective on the 49ers side of the field. And then once he got near the goal line, he had that nice run on first and goal from around the 10 yard line that picked up eight yards. And then he had two opportunities to score a touchdown inside the two yard line and couldn't come through. And of course he got the ball in that fourth and one stop. It looked like there was a lane there for him to score. The 49ers just did not execute, but I'm very tired of seeing the, run gun called by Kyle Shanahan in critical situations. And we'll get into Kyle Shanahan later. Raheem Mostert, nine carries, 42 yards. So you're correct that Jeff Wilson Jr. outgained, not only outgained Raheem Mostert, but had a higher yards per carry. I love Jeff Wilson Jr. He's running so hard. There was that one play where he bounced off a link in Tomlinson, mm-hmm. and it looked like it was a guaranteed loss, and he picked up. 12, 16 yards, whatever it was on that run. So the running backs, it's hard to evaluate how they could have really performed. It's hard to give them a accurate grade, in my opinion, because the offensive line was struggling. They were really, really struggling. I thought they performed better pass blocking wise, but the run lanes, they were nowhere to be found. A lot of the time it was Raheem Mostert and Jeff Wilson Jr. creating things on their own. And before you go ahead and jump back into the running back combos, Tevin Coleman, I just find it comical. 
I understand that Brandon Ayuk missed his block. Again, Brandon Ayuk missed his block on that toss play. I just, it's funny at this point. It's funny to me that every time Tevin Coleman gets the ball, he loses a significant amount of yardage every single time. It's not always his fault. It's not always his fault. It's just, I don't know what it is. What did he do to the offensive line that they refuse to block for him every time he touches the ball? It's it, We have a comment from Jay Schultz. Poor Tevin. That's all, I, that's all I can really say myself. Poor Tevin Coleman. He gets the ball and he gets lit up immediately. Nothing good ever goes his way. He's averaging under two yards per carry this season. Two yards per carry this season. If you look at all the 49ers veterans, I don't know if there's anybody more washed than Tevin Coleman. Yeah, poor, for, poor Tevin. For, for me, I was going to say for the offensive line, um, I don't blame it on the offensive line because as an offensive line, what can you really do when you're facing eight-man fronts the entire game? You can't really yeah. do much and then the blocking sense because you are outmanned. You are outnumbered. And at that point – you have to kind of be like, hey, that's the quarterback's fault. They're not afraid of him throwing the ball. So that's why I, it's hard to assess the the, the run game. So for me, I, I look at it at, at the quarterback perspective. Yes, we had good running game a few times. Yes, we had a few times where the run game looked like it was going to get going. But that's because the running backs created enough from where the holes were. And there was a, a comment, why was Mostert on the bench for a little while? It's because – Mostert did not look too good. Um, Jeff, well, this is more of a physical – when there's a lot of bodies in the box, you have to be a little bit more physical, and that's where Jeff Wilson Jr. comes into play a little bit more. He's the more physical runner. He runs a lot harder than, than Raheem Mostert. Raheem Mostert's off speed, and he turns that into power. Jeff Wilson's more power and then speed. So, for me, that's what I wanted to say. It wasn't Tevin Coleman's fault, but it also wasn't the O-line's fault as well. I would agree, though, that I would have liked to see Raheem Moster get more touches. It was very interesting. So he started off the opening drive when the 49ers took over at their own two-yard line, drove the ball 97 yards before getting stuffed on the fourth and goal from the one. Mostert was very effective there. And then as soon as the 49ers crossed over the 50-yard line into Bill's territory, Mostert never saw the ball again for the rest of the drive. And then he did not touch the ball in the second half until the third drive late in the third quarter. So I was questioning as well why Mostert was not used as much as you'd expect him to be utilized. And I've been impressed with Mostert's ability to show tremendous physicality on a lot of his runs. He's been a bruiser this year, but I do agree with your assessment that Wilson does a good job of starting off with a lot of power. He's a very strong running back and Mostert needs that mm -hmm. speed first before, or he translates that speed into physicality. That wrap everything up for running backs where you jump ahead of wide receiver. Yeah, let's go, to, let's go to receiver. I give the receivers a solid B as well. Brandon Ayuk's a stud. He's an absolute stud. I could have probably given them a B plus. I have a problem with the drops that we saw. Kendrick Bourne not scoring. I thought it was a bad ball by Mullins. Don't get me wrong. If Mullins leads him towards the pylon, it's a walk-in touchdown. It's absolutely a touchdown for Kendrick Bourne. I couldn't tell if when he was tackled where both of his arms wrapped up. He didn't really make an effort to extend the ball. What I saw was it didn't look like he had complete possession, like he, a, a possession of the ball. 
He was kind of pinning it to his body. And then you get up and you start celebrating. And I remember we had the same conversation a couple weeks back or a couple months back when the 49ers played the Dolphins. I applauded Kendrick Bourne because we all know he's high energy. He loves dancing. When he scored his first and only touchdown of the season against the Dolphins, he ran right back to the sidelines. There was no yeah. showboating involved because he understood the score. You don't celebrate when you're down that many points. And to see him know that the 49ers are down 17, he cuts it to 10, doesn't even score a touchdown, and then gets up and start dancing, leaves a bad taste in my mouth. He made a handful of tremendous catches on that final drive, which ended in a Jordan Reed touchdown. Kendrick Bourne catches the most difficult passes. Brandon Ayuk's a stud. Debo Samuel took way too long to get him involved. His first target, his first reception didn't come until the end of the third quarter. He had one running play where he lined up alongside a Nick Mullins and took a run out of the gun. So again, I'm. we'll get into Kyle Shanahan, the personnel, the use of personnel, and the lack of prioritizing getting the ball to your playmakers was a cause for concern. But again, we'll jump into Kyle Shanahan. The receivers get a solid B for me. There was no Richie James this game as far as playing the receiver position goes. It was all Ayuk, Debo, and Kendrick Bourne, but I'll give them a solid B. And Ayuk is a freaking stud, an absolute stud. Uh, if Ayuk has a a, quarter, a legit quarterback, Nick, he, he's going to be a, an All Pro receiver. Uh, Des Bryant tweeted out or posted that uh, Brandon Ayuk is Julio's little brother, and and I get what he's saying. I get that he's trying to say that he's a freak of nature, um, in which he is. Uh, so Bre I give them a B because the reason why I can't give them anything higher is is that interception that came from Brandon Ayuk. Um, I, I put that on Brandon Ayuk, hundred um, percent. Hit your hands, you have to catch it. Um, he has strong hands, so it upsets me that he dropped that. So for me, Brandon Ayuk looked looked amazing, even with the with the poor quarterback. He should have had a lot more yards. Um, there was one who was running a dig route. He was wide open. Should have had a should have had a big game. Um, one in the end zone. Brandon Ayuk uh, was wide open. Nick Mullins didn't throw it to him. Wide open he, from the jump. Um, so that stuff is for me is is concerning. Um, Debo Samuel should have been used on the end rounds. When they played the Los Angeles Rams, the Bills gave up 30 yards to Robert Woods on end rounds, on the end around sweeps um, on only three carries. So that tells me that that play was successful for the Rams. Why wasn't the best player in the NFL who run that end around sweep being used in that situation? Um, but again, Debo Samuel wasn't effective early on, but he was matched mm -hmm. up with Tredavious White in the past game. So I was – Glad they didn't attack Shadavius White because he is a stud as well on that side. Um, these receivers that the 49ers have is a one-two punch, and if they get themselves a quarterback, this quarterback's going to come in and have two good receivers because Debo Samuel could run a lot of routes. Um, he showed that yesterday in the second half once Shadavius uh, White went to go follow Brandon Ayuk. So it'll be interesting to see how those two go moving forward. But they, the most they could get is a B for me today. I'm with you. I want to, before we jump into tight ends, because we debate this a lot as far as what should Debo Samuel be labeled? Is he a true wide receiver? We know he's using that offensive weapon gadget type role. And I tweeted something out last night, and I think this is what I'm going to stick with from now on. And I want to make sure I have your approval or get your thoughts on this. Brandon Ayuk is wide receiver one. He's the clear cut number one wide receiver of this offense. If he gets a true quarterback, 
And Jay Schultz, Jay Schultz beat me to it in the comment section before I can get it out of my mouth. Debo Samuel is an athlete. He's an athlete. Like, you know, when prospects are, or recruits rather, are leaving the high school level and they don't have a true position or they can play multiple positions and they're not necessarily labeled a specific position, they're simply labeled athletes. And that's what Brandon Ayuk is. I mean, excuse me, Debo Samuel is. He's an athlete. You can line him up at wide receiver. You can line him up at running back. And that's not a knock on Debo Samuel. It's not a knock that he can be used in all these different ways. So how I'm going to start referring to Brandon Ayuk and Debo Samuel is Brandon Ayuk's wide receiver one and Debo or Brandon Ayuk's wide receiver one, Debo Samuel athlete number one. And that's not a knock on Debo Samuel. It's just who he is as a player. And he fits this offense so wonderfully. We should appreciate him. I think I, I, I agree. I agree with the athlete one, but if he has a, it goes back to the, I'm going to, it sounds like I'm repetitive, repetitive, but it goes back to the quarterback. If you have a quarterback who could throw the ball or push the ball, be a threat to defenses, then we see a different Brandon Ayuk. In college, Brandon Ayuk was a legit route runner. At the Senior Bowl, he was putting people in blenders. So for me, I think he's an athlete because obviously he can do everything on the field. But I think he's more of the receiver who can play the gadget role. It's kind of like um, when people talk about um, quarterbacks who are running quarterbacks. No, like Steve Young refers to himself, I'm a quarterback who could run, not a running quarterback. So it's kind of like similar to that way. All right, let's jump into tight ends. What grade do you give the tight ends? Tight ends, they didn't they, they didn't do too much. Um, but I give them a solid, a solid C. Um, they weren't great in the run game. Um, they didn't seal some of their their end on the outside. But I, I do give Charlie Warner um some praise. I do like what I've seen from Charlie Warner on the couple of passes that he took. Um he looked good. He's not as fast as I thought he was, um, but he looked solid. Um then I believe Jordan Reed had a touchdown at the back of the end zone. Jordan Reed's just a stud. He's always going to be a stud. Um, I'm glad he he got up from one of the hits he took. So I don't really put too much evaluation in the tight ends because there's no George Kittle. So for me, mm. that's who the tight end room is based on. And Jordan Reed is not capable of doing everything George Kittle can. Yeah, I gave them an entire – letter grade higher than you i'm giving them a b because of the reason you just stated there is no george kittle and i thought you got really good production out of jordan reed ross dwelly and charlie warner who caught his first nfl pass and he had two catches in the second half where he looked good after the catch i was satisfied with the production i have the numbers right here you had jordan reed go three catches 32 yards and a touchdown ross dwelly two catches 29 yards and Charlie Warner, two catches, 33 yards. You almost got 100 yards receiving from your three tight ends. So because they're not George Kittle, that's pretty solid production. I even would have gave them a B plus, but I do believe that critical third down incompletion Nick Mullins threw where Jordan Reed and Kendrick Bourne were both in the vicinity, and it looked like Mullins was targeting Kendrick Bourne. I put that on Jordan Reed for that miscommunication because I believe it was Lewis Riddick that said, that Reed should have sat down in the area he was in and he kind of made everything congested. So you can look at Reed there, but I'm still giving the tight ends a solid B. I thought they were very similar to the receiver group where you can't fault them for a lot of the lack of production, although they were pretty production. Well, they're productive. A, lot of, a lot of that production came in garbage time though, which is something you always have to 
account for. But there was that one nice throw Nick Mullins had to Ross Dwelly after he had that really ballsy pass, for lack of a better term, to Debo Samuel, which went incomplete. It was the first throw of the second half for Mullins. But I thought the tight ends played well. We'll all kick us off with the offensive line. They're the only group on offense getting a lower grade than Nick Mullins in my, from my point of view. I'm giving them a a solid C, not a C minus, just a straight C. The run game, I was impressed by them in the first half against the Rams. They were not letting Raheem Mostert or Jeff Wilson get touched behind the line of scrimmage or even at the line of scrimmage. They were good run blocking wise against the Rams, specifically in the first half. And it was tough sledding the entire day. Nick Mullins was not sacked. So that's something you can tip your cap for the offensive line for. Hang your hat on that. But he was still getting pressured a lot, a ton. There were clean pockets at times. There was a fair share of clean pockets. The offensive line was not horrible. And they really struggled to block inside of the 10-yard line, the 5-yard line. When the 49ers are getting close to scoring, the offensive line cannot block to save their lives. On that play that Tevin Coleman got lit up, where he touched the ball, I want to say it was first and goal. Mike McGlinchey like slipped. So again, I don't know what it is that every time Tevin Coleman gets the ball, something goes hor horribly wrong as far yeah, as the goes. Uh, for me, I, I give them a grade, a one grade above you. I give them a B, a solid B. Um, like I said earlier, you can't put the run game on the offensive line when they're facing an eight-man front. Uh, but they had they gave Nick Mullins a lot, a lot of time in the past game. Uh, there's a lot of times where Nick Mullins is indecisive where he wants to go with the ball. Everyone talks about how Nick Mullins is the smartest quarterback on the roster, how he's this smart quarterback. And for me, it looks like Nick Mullins is a smart quarterback, but he's extremely indecisive where he wants to go. A lot of times he does he does where he he has the ball here and he double double taps, double taps. You can't do that in the NFL. You have to just get rid of it. Um, for me, that's that's my problem with Nick Mullins. Um, he makes the offensive line look worse than they actually are by holding on to the ball. In the NFL, like, example, we see Josh Allen. When you're holding on to the ball, you have to move. Josh Allen moves. When he starts to get pressured, he moves. And Nick Mullins doesn't because he's a statue in the pocket, doesn't feel the pressure, and the offensive line cannot block somebody for 10 seconds long. Yeah. I understand that that we see uh, Mike McGlinchey get beat a lot. We see McKivitz get beat a lot. But th those – are not the problem. The problem is having a quarterback who is capable of knowing where he wants to go with the ball and and not knowing when to get rid of it. He has no internal clock, and that's the problem, which makes the offensive line look a little worse than they actually have been playing. I had something click in my head today. I compared Mike McGlinchey to Kwame Harris, and I think I have a nickname for Mike McGlinchey. McSquishy. Because he's soft. He's as soft as he comes. How about yeah. that one? Mike McSquishy. You're wrong, Nick. <laughs> You're wrong. I, I, every time he's getting bulldozed all the time. His arms are always frailing up in the air as he's getting off the ground. He gets punished by everyone. He's so tall and lean that he just gets bullied. So Mike McSquishy. Let's jump into the defensive line. We'll leave Mike McSquishy alone in the 49ers offensive line. They get a C, although Mike McSquishy gave up four pressures, four pressures this week, led the team yet again. Defensive line, Marco, shoot, what you got? 
Defensive line, I, I gave him a solid B. Um, almost gave him a P plus. Um, everyone talked about the defensive line not getting pressure. That was that's totally false. I want everyone to know that. I went through and watched the, the game again on all 22. They were getting a lot of pressure. Um, they were making Josh Allen move. And Josh Allen is just a freak of nature, and you cannot bring him down because he's mobile and he has a rocket arm, which makes him even better. So the, the defensive line was good. Um, I don't think their run game got going, actually. Um, their run game was was kind of not there. They had 61 yards from uh, Devin Singletary. Josh Allen had 11, and then Zach Moss had nine. So they had 70 yards from the running backs. That That's great from a defensive line perspective. But, again, um, I would like to see them get home on some sacks. Deion Jordan, he, he's been balling lately. He's been getting a lot of pressure. It's kind of weird to sound say Deion Jordan. That makes me mad when I'm saying Deion Jordan's name as a person who's balling on the 49ers because he's <laughs> man, that that that's frustrating. But I give Deion Jordan prop because the last couple games he's been getting pressure and he's just not getting home. And finally he got home and then made a big play in the run game. So I tip my cap off to Deion Jordan. Yeah. So I write a weekly studs and duds column for Sports Illustrated, and I went back and watched the entire 49ers game and there's not a lot of studs to really turn to you know and Deion Jordan's the one player the one player that I truly believe is worthy of that stud list he was huge when the 49ers desperately needed a spark he did everything in his power to provide that stark on the same drive on the same exact drive he had a strip sack on Josh Allen which the Bills recovered but he gave an opportunity for the 49ers to create some momentum and get right back in the game. And then later on on that drive, there was a third and one, and he had a run stuff on third and one, which brought up fourth down. But unfortunately, the Bills were able to convert that fourth and one. But Deion Jordan balled out. He looked really good. My grade for the 49ers defensive line is a B-. minus. I got something for you, Nick, before you, before you get going. Go ahead. I know, it out. I, I, I know you have a Rick Armstead in. Just, just to throw it out there, Deion Jordan has more sacks than, than Armstead does on the season. He yeah. has two, and Armstead no, has one and a half. So I, we both work with kids. I work in youth development. You know, you have your visual learners, people that need to visually see a representation of something. And my goal is I want to create a pie chart of the 49er sack leaders. Carrie Hyder is going to have a chunk about 75, 70, 75% of the chart. Eric Armstead's going to have this little sliver, this little sliver of the chart that he's going to share with. He's going to be behind Jordan Willis and Deion Jordan. And it's just comical to me. And yes, sacks are not everything. Sacks is often looked at as a team stat. I can do the same thing for quarterback hits. Eric Armstead has no sacks or quarterback hits in like nine out of 12 games this year. A lot to be desired from Eric Armstead after receiving that huge contract. But back to my grades, I'm going to disagree with you, Marco. I thought the front four was not generating as much pressure as you're saying they are. And this is what I noticed. On that drive to close out the first half where the Bills drove 70 yards, got a field goal with about a minute and five seconds left, there was a ton of pressure on that drive. A ton of pressure on that drive. And Josh Allen constantly how to make plays outside of the pocket. And oh my gosh, just thinking about Josh Allen and how he rolls out to the right and just fires these darts and Cole Beasley and Stephon Diggs are just 
toe tapping so mm -hmm. graciously along the sidelines. I want that so bad. I want that so bad in Kyle Shanahan's offense. But the defensive line gets a B minus from me. They were really good against the run, which is why I'm giving them such a high grade. They only gave up three yards per carry, and that was between Devin Singletary, Josh Allen, and Zach Moss. They gave up 18 carries for 72 yards. Is that what it was? No, it was 20 yards. They gave up – well, between everybody, I think I had them at 81 80, yards 80, combined. 81. 27 – if my math's correct, I'm no math expert – 27 rush attempts for 81 yards, and it was around three yards per carry. I could be wrong there, but I'm pretty sure that's the math. I think 27 goes into 81 three times. As a matter of fact, I'm going to lock that answer in. That is my final answer. Hopefully I'm not wrong, but I'm pretty sure I'm right there. B minus from me from the defensive line. Javon Kinlaw had one nice pressure where he spun around two different defensive linemen. That was very nice. So I do acknowledge that some individuals were creating pressure, just not as consistently as you would have liked. And that's not their fault. Robert Sala should have been more aggressive in his play calling and his scheme. It was just so conservative, way too conservative for my liking, but the defensive line gets a B minus for me. And how about uh, Kevin Givens? Kevin Givens had another tackle for loss. Kerry Hyder probably had his quietest game of the season. So the defensive line gets a solid B minus for me. To, just to talk about Kevin Givens. Um, I think this is I, for me, what I think I thought Kevin Givens should have made the roster in 2019 over DJ Jones. Um, I, I don't know why. Um, I, it's what I had thought, what I seen from my eyes. I had seen Kevin Givens as a stud um, in 2019 preseason. And for me, I seen a, a player with more upside in the past week rushing game than um, DJ Jones. DJ Jones is hurt. I think we've seen the last of DJ Jones in a 49ers uniform. I tweeted that out earlier, and I think it's true um, because they, they're going to go, they're not going to be able to pay DJ Jones when he gets on the market, and they already have Kevin Givens. So I just wanted to throw that out there. I wouldn't be shocked if DJ Jones comes back and I'm going to say the same exact thing for Solomon Thomas because nose tackles defense, whether you're a three, four nose tackle or a four, three defensive tackle, I don't think there's a huge market. Like they really are a dime a dozen. DJ Jones has nice twitch. He's able to pressure quarterbacks, but I really don't think he's going to get anything more than 2 million at most. But then the 49ers develop defensive lineman like nobody else in football. So it's almost a non-issue. I don't think DJ Jones is coming back either. I can see Solomon Thomas coming back on like a one-year $1.5 million after all the money he's made over the last four years doing absolutely nothing. So I'm with you. DJ Jones most likely gone. And his best memory as a 49 – he sacked Russell Wilson on Monday Night Football, right? I think that might be his – his highlight. Uh, I believe he sacked them last year on um, when he whooped uh, Hunt, like whooped yeah. them, whooped them. That's his best highlight of the 49er. Yep. Well, DJ Jones, if you're not back, you will be missed. I don't know. It won't be too long until your replacement's back. Yeah, it's replacement's yeah. already <laughs> Yeah, this replacement's already here with Kevin Givens. We're Kevin Givens stands out here. Let's jump into linebackers. I'll kick us off. It was hard to evaluate the linebackers. I gave them a B minus as well to kind of follow suit with the defensive line. The entire defense did not play well. And Fred Warner, Dre Greenlaw didn't do anything to really garnish a B minus, but they didn't really do anything to 
deserve a better grade than that. Fred Warner came up with the football on a ball fumbled at the goal line. The well, when the Bills had their back to their own end zone, where I believe the running back was Zach Moss. I don't think it was Devin. Uh, I believe it was, Zach, it was Zach Moss. Zach Moss fumbled the exchange. Fred Warner came up with it. He had a pick. And I noticed something on this interception. So Jimmy Ward blitzed earlier in the first half. Mm -hmm. And when he blitzed the first time, he took a direct angle towards the right tackle. If you're a quarterback, he blitzed from the right side. If you're facing or, or if you're looking at the quarterback, he was rushing from the left side. And he took a direct angle towards the right tackle, immediately engaged. Josh Allen just looped around him, rolled out to his right, and completed a ball downfield. The second time around he blitzed, what I noticed is he did a much better job containing the pocket. He kept Josh Allen in the pocket, had to go through his reads. He took a very wide angle going out towards the right tackle. Allen had to sit in the pocket, and what does he do? He throws an interception to Fred Warner, but unfortunately, Richard Sherman had to hold Stephon Diggs because he got tugged. But I found that very interesting, and it kind of shows Jimmy Ward's smarts his wits as a football player being able to kind of understand okay the first time i came i was sent on this blitz on this blitz i took too direct of an angle i need to contain josh allen in the pocket the next time around so i acknowledge that for jimmy ward so shout out jimmy ward for doing that it's just unfortunate that there was the richard sherman hold on the play i would give them a b minus as well um but like you said on the jimmy ward um the pass rush reps he had um, when, when you're rushing the passer as an outside guy, you have to know you have outside containment. And since um, Ward doesn't normally do that, it's harder for him to know he has outside mm -hmm. containment. So the second time he realized, I have outside containment. But for the linebackers, um, I'd give them B- minus as well. I mean, they didn't do much. Um, they held the run game to uh, 70, 80 yards. Um, so that that's a plus uh, when their linebackers are flowing and, and making tackles like that. Uh, but they didn't really do too much in the, in the pass game. Um, to make them give them a B plus or an A minus. Um, in fact, I actually thought Dre Greenlaw had had a pretty good outing. Um, from what I was watching, he had a few plays where I was like, "Whoa, that he he developed. He saw that developing real fast and met the running back in the hole in the backfield." So uh, um, I do like the tandem that we have at linebacker right now with Fred Warner and Dre Greenlaw. And Dre Greenlaw is coming into his own, finally seeing the field um, as a linebacker in the NFL. The speed is slowing down for him. That's really good to see. So I'm excited to see what he could do, and I want him to get his hands on the ball a little bit more often, though. I want to backtrack a little bit, and the reason why I'm backtracking is when we talk about Dre Greenlaw, when the Bills converted that fourth and one inside the 49ers red zone, he was blatantly held. You can tell whoever it was that was engaged with him had him outside the shoulder pads, should have been a holding call. Horrific. I tweeted out immediately, how do you not see the hold on Dre Greenlaw there? The reason why I want to backtrack, I'm thinking about penalties. I'm thinking about my defensive line grades. Contavious Street had the most boneheaded penalty that cost the 49ers every single chance they had to get into the game. They had the ball at their own 38-yard line, 37, 38-yard line. The Bills, the Bills had the ball at the 49ers, 37 or 38-yard line. It's second and 18. Josh Allen's rolling out to his right. He's clearly throwing the ball out of bounds. 
And I don't care if you want to argue if it was a soft penalty, if it shouldn't have been called roughing the passer. The bottom line, and from my perspective, my opinion, you don't put yourself in that position to begin with. You just put your hands up once he lets go of the ball. You don't touch the quarterback. You don't touch the quarterback there. I don't care if it's soft. It was stupidity and a lack of discipline coming from Contavious Street. He should have been benched and never seen the field for the rest of the game because it was that boneheaded of a penalty. Oh, I just got fired up there thinking about it. It's just inexcusable. It doesn't matter if Josh Allen flopped. If Josh Allen flops, it does not matter. Do not put your hands on the quarterback that's blatantly throwing the ball out of bounds. You put yourself in that position, Contavious Street. You did it to yourself. It was not the referee. Josh Allen flopped, but you made him flop because you touched him. For, for me, um, uh, I agree everyone's saying Josh Allen flopped. Um, but the thing is, I was told by a coach that that I when I played ball, um, don't ever let a ref dictate the game. If you put the that uh, contagious street, put himself in that situation to allow the ref to throw that flag. Those plays are judgmental plays. That's all judgment. And if the ref thought, hey, he, he roughed him a little bit. Let me throw the flag. They're going to protect elite quarterbacks. Josh Allen is one of the elite quarterbacks. He's up there for one of the MVP race. So for me, it's don't put yourself in that situation. Understand where you're coming from. And a lot of times, um, defensive linemen, what they like to do is they'll dive in front of you with their hands like this and just learn how to roll and go. So Kentavious Street, that's a boneheaded mistake from a, a young player. Um, he hasn't really seen the field often. So those plays got to get, get out of get out of it. It's Yeah. It was a lack of discipline. Too. While we're talking about the defensive line, and this happens frequently in the NFL, but they bit on Josh Allen's hard count multiple times on the very first play of the game. Both DJ Jones and Javon Kinlaw were flagged for offsides. The penalty was actually on Javon Kinlaw, but DJ Jones jumped too. So the defensive line played with a lot of, or a lack thereof, rather, of discipline. That's what I thought in... Contavious Street needs to learn from that. He can't catch a break. He doesn't rough Drew Brees, yet he gets called for roughing the passer, punctures Drew Brees' lung, cracks his ribs, and then he barely touches Josh Allen, gets called for roughing the passer. But the bottom line is you don't put yourself in that situation to begin with. We're in agreement on that. Let's jump ahead to the defensive backs, and we'll group safeties and cornerbacks together for this one. I'll give them a D. Uh, they played terrible. They played absolute terrible. I, I probably, being generous, giving them a D. Um, so everyone's going to talk about the Sherman, the blown coverage Sherman play. That was not on Sherman. So um, from what I've read and what I've seen and, and what I've heard is uh, they were supposed to be in palms coverage. So it was a three by one. And then three by one is, so if you don't understand what three by one is, there's three receivers on one side. And then one on the other. So it's a three by one. So in a three by one, they were supposed to be in uh, cover three or something like that. And then once the motion goes over, they're in a two by two, which turns it into palms. So since it turns into palms coverage, they have a help of uh, Jimmy Ward over top and Tarverius Moore is supposed to go over top and no longer in cover three. Tarverius Moore stayed in cover three. And um, the rock concept that they ran allows Sherman to take the curl route. So it's it's one of those where um, it wasn't Richard Sherman's fault. Um, so I don't put that blame on Richard Sherman. Those are Tarverius Moore. Tarverius Moore had a really really rough outing. Um, 
Jason Verrett couldn't play man with um, Stephon Diggs. Richard Sherman can't play man with Stephon Diggs. So it was one of those ones where no one could really play Stephon Diggs man-to-man, but the secondary was getting eaten up all damn day. I don't even want to say uh, I haven't even hit number 27's um, play because he shouldn't have been playing in the slot. It should have been Jimmy Ward in the slot with Marcel Harris and Tarverius Moore. But it, it was ugly to see, real ugly to see. And it just sucks because I would have liked to see last week. Every uh, I see a few comments talking about how Sala can't call anything with Sherman. Actually, last week when he had Sherman on the field, um, he had he ran zone one side and ran man to the other. There were times where he put Sherman at safety last week. He didn't do that as much this week as he did last week. So, yes, you can't call man-to-man with Sherman a lot like you would normally want to against a team with an inaccurate quarterback like Josh Allen. So you have to change things up. You have to figure things out from a defensive coordinator standpoint and not call a soft zone coverage all the time. Cole Beasley, nine catches, 130 yards. Cole Frickin' Beasley, nine yeah, catches, nice. 130 yards, and a touchdown. Yeah, no knock on Cole Beasley. He was balling out. He has the sickest toe drag swag I've ever seen. Stephon Diggs, 10 catches, 92 yards. Date. Oh, I'm drawing a blank. The UCF Not- rookie receiver, Gabriel Davis. That's Gabriel his first Davis. name, Gabriel. Gabriel Davis, three catches, 68 yards, a touchdown. Isaiah McKenzie. Dawson Knox. The list goes on and on and on. I gave the secondary a C minus D plus. I know I'm being generous, but they were just the way I see it. The bills were just on their own spectrum. As far as talent goes, they were on their own tier. The 49ers were just so overmatched. And I, I use this comparison early on what this game reminded me of as someone watching it was when the 49ers traveled to Kansas city week three of 2018 and the chiefs dropped 35 points in the first half, the 49ers were helpless. They couldn't do anything to stop the Chiefs. And that's exactly how I felt last night watching Josh Allen and the Bills wide receiver core. Remember when Patrick Mahomes, it was that first touchdown passing through the first two touchdowns of that game back in 2018 were runs to Kareem Hunt. Mahomes had his first real big highlight throw or the first one where he Rolls out to his left. Cassius Marsh is chasing him. He rolls out to his right. And then as he's running towards the sideline, just throws a dart in the back of the end zone to, I forget which receiver it was. It wasn't Sammy Watkins. Watkins. It wasn't, no, it I wasn't. It was. it was Demetrius Harris. That's his name. Demetrius, Demetrius Harris. And I remember it was on a third and goal after the Chiefs have already scored two touchdowns. I was like, finally, the Niners are going to get a stop. And Mahomes hits us with that. That's what. Josh Allen was like was like last night, just mind-boggling with the plays that he made. He finished with a stat line of 32 completions off 40 attempts for 375 yards and four touchdowns. I know we're giving out defensive back grades right here. I just want to continue talking about Josh Allen because I freaking love this dude. I love Josh Allen. I love him for many reasons, including because I traded for him in my fantasy football league for Tom Brady. I gave up Tom Brady for Josh Allen. Best decision I ever made. Listen to this. Marco, before you jump in here, listen to this. Josh Allen on the season, 3,400 
passing yards in 12 games, 3,400. He has 26 touchdowns to eight interceptions, 322 rushing yards to six touchdowns, and he's even caught in a pass. He's caught in a receiving touchdown this year. Patrick Mahomes, he's on a whole another planet. He should win MVP this year. And whoever places second to Patrick Mahomes, I know people get made fun of for second place trophies all the time, but it's a damn honor to play second to Patrick Mahomes, in my opinion. And Josh Allen is the MVP runner up. He's that freaking good. He is that freaking good. I am enamored by Josh Allen. I want, I want him. I want someone like him on the 49ers. Trey Lance, please. Nick, you're finally you're finally on on the Niners need a quarterback hive now. Oh, I, 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 I see it. No, 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 no. You hit like there's like a button like that that I have like I wanted a quarterback, but I wasn't gonna be like full blown, no, and then I hit no. the panic button, and I'm like full blown quarterback. We need one. So let me let me say something. Let me. I know the 49ers need a quarterback. I was not willing to sacrifice a potential playoff run for that quarterback. But I know the 49ers need a quarterback. I've been knowing that. I've been all over it. I want one of them big quarterbacks with the extendo on the arm that can just throw the ball all over the field. Nick, drink. Hey, it's, we both been it's drinking. Right. It's a rough week, man. Hey, it, it, it is what it is. We're coming to terms with everything related to the 49ers right now. But when I see Josh Allen and what he does – Six foot five, 240 pounds, a leader, a guy that can make plays all over the field. The 49ers need to find themselves one of those. And that seems to be Trey Lance. I'm going to gamble on Whoa. the upside of Trey Lance. Yes, Trey Lance, we are talking to you. Trey Lance needs to come to San Francisco. I'm going to gamble. I would love to see the 49ers gamble on his upside. If you have to give up two first-round picks, go ahead and do so. Three first-round picks. If you feel like that's your guy, go ahead and get him. But Josh Allen, Josh Allen is so freaking good. He's my MVP runner-up. See, I've never – look, so for just this question, big gold nuggets, um, before we get into to Kyle Shanahan and Robert Sala, um, I was on the – I really like um, Wilson, but I've always been – Trey Lance, Trey Lance, Trey Lance from the get-go. He was my number – I had him at number one for a good while on my on my rankings above Trevor Lawrence. Um, says a lot, but Trey Lance reminds me of uh, Dak Prescott with with uh, Andrew Luck, the, the smarts. So that's why I, I think Trey Lance is the guy I would personally go with. Um, but let's get into Kyle Shanahan, Nick, and, and Robert Sala. Um, what did you think of both of those two guys as – play calling and, and everything, because I, I know you're probably going to attack um, um, Kyle Shanahan, and, but I'm going to attack Robert Sala a, a, a oh. bit, and I'm going to probably discredit him from for some things. I will gladly raise points towards both of them as to how they negatively impacted this game. Kyle Shanahan, he's limited. He's handcuffed, even more so by Nick Mullins than Jimmy Garoppolo. I do believe that Nick Mullins is a very solid backup quarterback in the NFL. Emphasis on backup. Not every team is fortunate enough to have a Taysom Hill or an Alex Smith who was third on the depth chart to begin the season. Not every team has that luxury. Not Look at the Saints. I mean, come on. They have Jameis Winston. They have Taysom Hill. They have Drew Brees. 
I do feel like a lot of teams would be fortunate and feel good with Nick Mullins being their backup. But with that being said, he handcuffs Kyle Shanahan, so he can't throw out the entire play. He can't call every play he wants, and he can't even do that with Jimmy Garoppolo. My biggest issue, my biggest issue with Kyle Shanahan is how he uses his personnel. I did not see a priority from Kyle Shanahan to get Raheem Moster and Debo Samuel involved, specifically Debo Samuel, because Raheem Moster touched the ball early on a handful, especially on that opening drive. Debo Samuel had one running play in the first half. He had one, one running play for the entire game, one carry for three yards. That came in the first half. He wasn't targeted or didn't have his first reception until three minutes left in the third quarter. And that's inexcusable to me. It's inexcusable. You're not getting the ball to your playmakers. And yes, Nick Mullins has difficulty spreading the ball all over the field, making all the throws. We know that. We know that about Nick Mullins. But Debo Samuel's not a guy that needs to get the ball beyond the line of scrimmage. I mean, that is so evident and that is made so clear. I get Tredavious White, one of the best cornerbacks in the league, was guarding him. I understand that. But where are the jet sweeps? Where are the end arounds? It's inexcusable to get your best playmaker involved. One of your best playmakers involved, because Brandon Ayuk's right up there right now. The ball, not getting him the ball until three minutes left in the third quarter when the game is borderline becoming out of reach. My biggest issues with Kyle Shanahan are how he utilizes his personnel. And Raheem Mostert didn't get the ball until the third drive of the second half. I have everything broken down right here. Jeff Wilson Jr. touched the ball a, a ton on that opening drive. And then Tevin Coleman got the ball. Kyle Shanahan wants Tevin Coleman to be relevant so freaking badly he does there's no reason for Kevin Coleman to be on the football field why is he getting those touches yeah I know I understand the politics you're making the money gesture hands I yep, get that I get that Kyle Shanahan needs to swallow his pride and play his best players I tweeted out that was one of my biggest issues with the game last night not just solely playing your best players but making it a, a priority in an effort to get them the ball and the play calling around the goal line he, he was calling the game like he didn't trust Nick Mullins. Like there was run after run after run inside the two, three-yard line, stuff after stuff after stuff. And the one time he let Nick Mullins air it out, he hit Brandon Ayuk for a touchdown. So Kyle Shanahan, I, I just spoke like I'm going to give him an F. I'm actually not giving him an F. I'm giving him a B minus. A B minus for me. It's a fair grade. I think it is a fair grade. You know, I just, my issue with him, it's not the play calling, although I wasn't a fan of the fourth and goal run gun. And I've been saying that for weeks now, we've seen it get stuffed five different times this year, whether it was Jarek McKinnon against the Dolphins, whether it was the Wildcat against the Seahawks. The one time it worked was Jermichael Hasty on a fourth and one against the Seahawks, but we've seen it get stuffed so many times, so many times. But outside of that though, a lot of the injuries are outside of his control. He's calling games as he sees fit. I give him a B minus. It wasn't the worst game called by Kyle Shanahan. It wasn't a bad game called by Kyle Shanahan. Just the use of the personnel and the lack of urgency behind getting your best playmakers the ball did not sit well with me. See, I, I agree. I give him a B minus. I, I don't like how he didn't run any end arounds. Um, I what I do actually um give him credit for is he's not allowing um. Tevin Coleman to bleed the running back too. He's actually having Jeff Wilson Jr. be running back too. And it's it's kind of good to see that he's allowing yeah. the better player to actually get the reps. It, 
the one carry doesn't bother me. Uh, but for me, uh, I think Kyle Shanahan is very handcuffed by Nick Mullen and Jimmy Garoppolo at that point. So for him, he's trying to figure something out, trying to figure out game plans at work. You can't continue to keep running the same game plan, end around, end around, end around, end around, because once you start doing that, teams just come up and sit on everything. And the thing is with Nick Mullins is you kind of can't have everyone sitting on everything because then it takes away what Nick Mullins does best, throw the short routes. And so you can't – it's kind of hard from an offensive perspective. Uh, but I want to go ahead and talk about how – he makes his offense look much better than what it is, even with mm-hmm. a quarterback like Nick Mullins. So I give him props, and he gets a B for me. Um, Robert Sala. Uh, I'm going to attack Robert Sala real quick. Everyone, <laughs> so uh, I've talked about how um, beginning of the season, this will be Robert Sala's season to, to get his head coaching job and how he adjusts during the year will determine if I was a head, uh, owner, if I would hire Robert Sala to be my head coach. Um I would not. Everyone keeps saying, oh, Robert Sala needs to be a head coach. No, I would not hire Robert Sala to be a head coach at all. The, this uh, this NFL is going to a mobile quarterback's league. Mm-hmm. If, if you don't have a mobile quarterback, you're not going to win. And Robert Sala cannot beat mobile quarterbacks. Those are his kryptonite. You yep. play, play him against Jared Goff. He'll make, he'll make himself look great. Play him against Drew Brees. He looks great. All the, uh, Any quarterback who isn't mobile – Robert Sala knows how to defeat, but then when he yeah. plays with quarterbacks like Kyler Murray, plays quarterbacks like Russell Wilson, Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, he cannot beat them. So I would not hire him as a head coach. Robert Sala stays in his his zone coverage scheme. Yes, the zone coverage scheme has shown to be an, an effective scheme in the NFL, but you can't continue to run the cover two high and the cover three uh, zone all damn game. Josh Allen was picking it a damn part, and it was pissing me off. Because you can blatantly see that Josh Allen knows they're in zone. Let me motion him one way. Go back. All right, they're in zone. Stop. You have you have to dial something up, and you have to figure out how to – they were getting pressure, but now you have to figure out how to keep them in the pocket. Figure it out, Robert Sullivan. It's not that damn hard. Tell your ends, hey, yeah, we want to get pressure, but our main job is getting containment. Make sure you have outside containment. Force him to step up into the pocket. I'd rather him stepping up than going outside because that's what he likes to do. And Robert Sala cannot figure it out. Uh, um, I gave him a C. I'm going to be nice. I almost went lower. Um, I'm going to give him a C. I almost gave wow. him a C minus. I almost gave him a C minus. <laughs> I was debating about giving him a, a D. He was terrible. Really terrible. The reason I'm laughing is because you 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 started off by saying you're going to attack the man, and then you gave him a passing uh, grade. Remember remember the old saying, C's get degrees. You're giving you're – giving, <laughs> But for Sala, me, a pass to the University of Detroit Lions. See, but for me, I give him a C. I almost give him a D, um, because he was mm-hmm. just terrible. But I have to give I have to give him the 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 lack um, slack because he didn't have Kwan Williams or Emmanuel Mosley in the slot, and he's playing down Dante Johnson. He already has lost Nick Bosa. Doesn't have his other edge rusher D Ford. So I had to give him a little bit of slack on the grade. But I had to go in on him how I don't think he is a head coach candidate because he cannot stop mobile quarterbacks. And his game plan has stayed the same for mobile quarterbacks. Yeah, that's that's a very good point because obviously the NFL is transitioning towards all quarterbacks need to be mobile. It's almost like a mandatory trait now for all quarterbacks. The best of the quarterbacks 
in today's era, you know, Tom Brady's on the decline. Philip Rivers is on the decline. You need to have mobility. And you're 100% right. You nailed it. That's the type of quarterback Robert Sala has not just struggled against this year, but also last year. Last Kyler year. Murray, last year, the Cardinals gave the 49ers a run for their money twice. They lost to Russell Wilson, mobile. They lost to Lamar Jackson, mobile. In the Super Bowl, Patrick Mahomes, mobile. This has been an ongoing issue. I don't know if it's solely Robert Sala. Is it the personnel? Is it Chris Kosurik, who's a phenomenal defensive line coach, not teaching his guys how to keep containment? There's so many question marks here. And you know how much I love Robert Sala. The 49ers defense mm -hmm. has overachieved this year, you know, without having Nick Bosa, without having D4, no DeForest Buckner. They're playing at an extremely high level. And who else do you point to for that? It's got to be Robert Sala, but this was a major letdown. It was a major letdown. There was no Brian Allen this time around to be the scapegoat. It was maddening. Maddening is the choice of words I would like to use as far as how to describe watching the defense. He was the doing the same thing over and over and over. Let me rush the same front four who haven't generated pressure all year long, aside from Kerry Hyder. And let me just keep doing it over and over and over and over again. They started sending Dante Johnson came on a blitz from the weak side of Josh Allen to close out the first half or one of the plays mm -hmm. towards the end of the first half. And Josh Allen didn't see him coming and he had to roll out to the right and throw the ball out of bounds. Why were you not rushing from the weak side or the blind side of Josh Allen more? Because you can see when he's able to identify the rush is coming, like when Jimmy Ward blitzed and he's coming from the strong side of Josh Allen, he can diagnose that and roll out to his right and throw the ball out of bounds. You could have been rushing from the weak side where he threw that one incomplete pass and kind of struggled. I was not impressed from Robert Sala for him and Richard Sherman and Robert Sala, if you look at the noise around those two guys this past week, Sherman was talking about how he doesn't expect to come back next year. He wants to go or, with Robert Sala. Well, I mean, regardless of where he wants to go, that's not my my point is, is that is this really an ideal time to be sharing with the world that you don't plan on coming back to the 49ers next year? This is week well, no, 12, he, he week 13. He didn't, say, he didn't say, I don't plan. He said he doesn't think. Exactly. He said the circumstances are looking like he most likely won't be able to be back because of the circumstances. He's talking about how the, the how the cap is going to go down. Yes, and how they might I, not have money for him. So yeah. He, well, re regardless of whatever way you want to look at it, as far as what words came out of his mouth or what he meant for the audience to interpret it, interpretate. Why are you bringing this up right now? You're getting ready to play a game against the Bills on Monday Night Football with the entire national audience watching, and you're talking about the future when you have a football game coming up. Robert Sala was on Adam Schefter's podcast talking about how – well, it wasn't him talking about it. He was answering questions coming from Schefter about how the Detroit – People in Detroit all want yeah. him to come there. And people are lobbying him for him to be the next coach. Like, why is this noise happening right now? And then they come out and neither of them look good. Robert Sala getting back to grades. He gets a D plus for me. And you know, I love Robert Sala. I think he can be the face of a franchise. He is an upbeat gentleman who has the face of a guy and the charisma of a guy that you want to lead your franchise. There is something to 
Robert saw that people gravitate towards. And you heard that coming from Richard Sherman after the 49ers beat the Rams. But you're yeah. right. His flaw is that he can't beat mobile quarterbacks. And that's a concern because that's exactly, exactly where the NFL is headed. So I give Sala a D plus. If he comes back next year as the defensive coordinator, great. I'm all for it. So for I'm looking at the comment that, that Richard Sherman said. He said it's not looking likely. And he says that he's really enjoyed his time here. He, he really wants to stay. Um, so that's what he's kind of saying. He's, it's a sad, sad truth. Um, he, he would really want to be here. But I, I don't think he's going to come back. I, I really don't. Not enough money. Um, I think they want to go a little bit more man um, corners, corners who could play man. It's why they brought in Jason Verrett. It's why they have Emmanuel Mosley. It's why they that's why they drafted uh, Akilah Weatherspoon. He's capable of playing man, but also they're capable of playing zone because you could teach zone eyes. You can't teach someone how to play man in the NFL. It, it, you can, but they're not going to be uh, successful at a high level at it. Oh, Marco cut out. But I'm with Marco as far as the assessment of Robert Sala. Robert Sala has shown time and time again that his kryptonite, his kryptonite is the inability to defend mobile quarterbacks. And it really is a very excellent point brought up to Marco by Marco as to why defense head owners, ownership may be reluctant to bring Robert Sala on board because they can look at his body of work. Yes, you can stop Jared Goff. Yes, you can slow down Drew Brees and Jameis Winston and hold the Saints, one of the best teams in the National Football League, the number one seed in the NFC, slow down their offense. You know, Cam Newton, who is a shell of what he used to be. You can prevent Jared Goff from putting up points, even though he looked great against the Buccaneers. But guess what, Robert Saul? That's not where the NFL is trending towards. They're not trending towards stationary pocket passers anymore. You need to show the ability to slow down mobile quarterbacks, and Marco nailed it on the head as far as why some teams may be reluctant to hire Robert Sala as a head coach. And remember, this is a head coach position. This is supposed to be a long-term position where teams want you to be around for three, four, five years or longer than that even. They want you to be that. around 10. They want 10 it's, or more. Exactly. They want stability. They want stability with the head coaching position. They don't want to have to be the 49ers where you're going from Jim Tom Sula to Chip, Chip Kelly. Kelly. You want that stability from your head coach and looking down the line, the NFL, your every team's going to have a mobile quarterback in a matter of four or five years. It's like, okay, and, and it's not a knock. Pastors are, they're going dinosaurs. They're going to be yeah. extinct. And it's not a knock on Robert Sala. I mean, I'm, I like Robert Sala as a defensive coordinator. I think he can be successful as a head coach. But I'm just saying, from my perspective, if I was an owner, I would not hire him just because I do not think. He, he could stop a mobile quarterback, and that's where the NFL is trending. I, I, I really do think um, Robert Sala is a, a good defensive coordinator. I believe he is a leader of men, which is a great quality trait for any head coach. So I think um, Robert Sala can be a good head coach. Is he going to be an elite head coach is the question. Elite head coaches make game plan changes mid-game, and they don't keep running the same stuff over and over and over again against mobile quarterbacks they tell their d-line i need you guys to keep them in the damn pocket and stop knifing in as an outside containment guy 
So this is what I thought. Should we give the special team some love? I'll give the special team some love. They get an A from me for the second consecutive week. They didn't do anything wrong. Robbie Gold connected on a field goal. He has a crazy streak of like 18, 19 consecutive field goals made inside of the 50-yard line. Robbie Gold has been nails per usual. Brandon Ayuk had a nice punt return. We've been pounding the table for quite some time to have Brandon Ayuk return punts. But down 17 or whatever it was at the time with three and a half minutes left, it was 17. They were down 17 points with three minutes and 45 seconds left in the game. That's not the time I want Brandon Ayuk to be that returning punts. But the game, though. I know. But I, I, I want to hit on Mr. Roscoe. He does need a good defense coordinator. He's a great leader of men. And if he has a D coordinator, he will be a successful head coach. The problem is, is having a good defensive coordinator. Those are hard to come by. I agree with that. I agree with that. I hope Robert Sala gets a head coaching job. He deserves it. He deserves it. There was a lot of doubts. Going back to the Dolphins game, I thought he lost his chance right there. But he has Brian Allen to fall back on, had terrible players at the positions, really. Akello Witherspoon said he wasn't able to play. Then all of a sudden he was feeling fine enough to enter the game. So you throw that Dolphins game out the window you gave him a second chance. He really redeemed himself quite well after those performances against the Rams, against the Patriots. Then that Packers game and those Seahawks games were a little iffy. But again, mobile quarterbacks. What I've noticed about the 49ers, it's not just mobility. It's the wide receivers that are able to make plays down the field and the quarterbacks that can launch the ball to them. That's yeah, where they it, struggle. And a lot of people struggle against that, but when you're in a – considered an elite defensive coordinator, you figure out how to take that stuff away. Bill Belichick, he takes what you're good at. He takes it away. He figures out how to take it away. And that's why a defensive coordinator going to become a head coach needs to know how to do that kind of things. And like, I think Mr. Roscoe said it perfectly. He needs a good defensive coordinator and allow him to be the defensive coordinator while he just leads the team. Yeah, and I definitely think that Robert Sala is a guy who can rally men, bring them together, and achieve greatness with them. I really do. Any final thoughts before we wrap things up? We're going 70 minutes strong tonight of 49ers Bills coverage. In case you weren't listening earlier, I love Josh Allen. And my main takeaway from the 49ers game last night is I want the six foot four, six foot five quarterback who's mobile, who can spray that ball all over the field. We had Trey Lance join the chat tonight. I just Trey want Lance, Trey Lance. We are we are talking to you. I'm with you though. Yes, Zach Wilson has looked good this year. Trevor Lawrence is obviously going to be out of reach. Justin Fields has mixed reviews. Trey Lance, the idea of Trey Lance just brings me in. It brings me in. Standing 6'4", 225 pounds, you look, watch the YouTube clips, you watch the film on him. He has Josh Allen vibes, Patrick Mahomes vibes. I'm not necessarily saying he's going to be that at the NFL level, but that's who he reminds you of at North Dakota State playing against bottom-tier competition for a lack of of respect out of whatever FCS football competition we, North Dakota State plays against. Shout out James Madison, though, because we know that they're a good football team out there. But the, we, we have to acknowledge that he's not playing – or last year he did not play against good teams. 
But he looked he really damn good playing against He didn't play against good teams. But when I when I evaluate my quarterbacks, um, I don't look necessarily at um, the competition. who they're playing. Competition. I look at the throws they're making. Are they making the throws from the far hash? Are they are they making the throw there? Are they making the deep shots? Are they making the reads? Are they going through the progressions? How is their fit work? How are they going to the center? All that stuff is what I play into fact. You can play against middle schoolers, but if you can't make a throw from the far <laughs> hash, then, then you're not an NFL quarterback in the in a college level. If you cannot make that throw, you shouldn't be in the NFL. If you cannot make the deep ball um, to nice float, touch pass on it, can you put touch on it? Um, are you able to go through? If you can't do that against any competition, you're not going to do that at the NFL level. And it doesn't matter if it's, like I said, against middle schoolers. If you could do it against um, any competition, I believe you could do it at the next level. The game just needs to slow down for you, and that's why those type of quarterbacks need to sit for a year because the game slows down for them. Well, you just brought me to my next point. Knowing Trey Lance, he's 20 years old right now. By the time the NFL draft rolls around, he's still going to be 20. He doesn't turn 21 until May. You probably need to bring in another quarterback unless you roll with Nick Mullins, assuming Jimmy Garoppolo is out of the picture. What quarterback are you looking to bring in to fill that gap? Stop gap quarterback. Who you got? For a stop gap quarterback, you could go ahead and go with um, – there's Andy Dalton's out there. Alex Smith most likely might be on the market. Um, it, those are names that you're like that. But I don't think Trey Lance actually needs a year to sit. Yes, you would love for a year for him to sit. Yeah. But what it takes is, is when you have, for example, we have Nick Mullins playing right now. Is, is Trey Lance worse than Nick Mullins? No. He, as a rookie, coming in as a rookie, he will not be worse than Nick Mullins. Even behind a bad offense line, he will not be worse than Nick Mullins. Nick Mullins has kept us in competitive games. Um, Jimmy Garoppolo, is Trey Lance going to be as good as Jimmy Garoppolo his rookie year? He probably will. He's able to throw a deep ball with the weapons he has. He's, he's able to, to be a threat throwing the ball versus yeah. Jimmy Garoppolo's incapability of doing so. So that's why when I look at it, I'm like, well, if Jimmy Garoppolo is able to run the offense, why can't Trey Lance run the version Jimmy Garoppolo is running? He could run it at the same level. So yeah. I don't think he necessarily has to sit. I don't necessarily think he has to sit either. I just feel like with the North Dakota State background, having not played college football for almost an entire calendar year by the time the NFL regular season rolls around, there's a pause for concern to acknowledge that the sample size of Lance is extremely small. There's one guy, an extremely intelligent quarterback that most likely will be available right now that I floated out this idea a couple of weeks ago, Ryan Fitzpatrick. Why not bring in a Harvard graduate? I was it Princeton, Harvard, one of those Ivy league schools. I want to say Harvard, Ryan Fitzpatrick, bring him in for a year. He doesn't need to start the entire season draft Trey Lance Ryan Fitzpatrick is a smart dude. Give him the playbook. Let him play six. Did you see how he looked against the 49ers? He looked like Joe Namath, Joe Montana. He was unbelievable against the 49ers. It, 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 it depends what Ryan Fitzpatrick you get that well, season. You well, get yeah, Ryan Fitzpatrick who, who is playing for his – there's a cycle of Ryan Fitzpatrick. Do, well, of course, but who, do you, would you take Ryan Fitzpatrick over Nick Mullins? Oh, yeah, 100%. 100%. I would too. I would too. And I, I like Nick Mullins as a backup, but with Ryan Fitzpatrick, he's a 
bottom tier starting quarterback in a high level backup but when he's on he's really on he can move the ball he can throw the ball downfield so i wouldn't mind starting this train of ryan fitzpatrick one-year deal drafting trey lance you give ryan fitzpatrick a contract as long as he needs for trey lance to develop if you feel like he'll be ready halfway through the regular season give ryan fitzpatrick a one-year deal if you want to give ryan fitzpatrick two years and maybe he serves as a backup the full year lance is going to start for you which would be 2022 go ahead and do that fitzpatrick is old though i want to say he's getting close to 40 he's got to be close to 40 over the next two years yeah, i don't he's, have he's up there He's up there for sure. But I like that idea. Ryan Fitzpatrick, Trey Lance, 2022. Sign me yeah, up. Yeah, I, I also do. Cause there is rumors speculating that that Alex Smith may be cut from Washington. Um, he has an out in 20, I believe, at the end of this year or whatever. But if they do release him, um, that's a guy I would like as well. I'll bring him back to the Niners. Um, when, when he had a, a good office coordinator in Andy Reid, he pushes the ball downfield. He looked good against the Washington football team. And he's just one of those guys where – he, I believe he could teach a young quarterback the ropes of the NFL because he's been through so much. It's just like Ryan Fitzpatrick. So I would go with either one of those guys. I'm with you. I'm with you. We're rolling deep. We're deep. We're deep in the, the wine night as we break down the 49ers loss to the Bills. With the loss to the Bills, the team falls to 5-7. Five 5-7. and seven. Five and seven. Not an ideal record, but the playoff hopes are still alive. Let's close out with this. Is the 49ers season completely shot? Do they have any hope at making the playoffs? I thought their season was shot even before they beat the Los Angeles Rams. Um, I, I don't think there's there's no – I don't think they make the playoffs. They, they need a lot of things to go in their favor in order for them to make the playoffs. And I'm not the type of person where I want things in other people's hands. Nah, no, of course. I'm with you. Uh, I think the season's over. I'm looking at the I, – I, I had hope if they won this game, yeah, we could potentially get in the playoffs. But I'm at that point where since they lost, I, I'm looking at the draft, and that's where I'm looking forward to because I don't think they're making it. I'm not as optimistic as I would have been if they won the game against the Bills. If they beat the Bills, I would have been, yes, this is going to happen. They are going to sneak into the playoffs. They're five and seven. The Cardinals, six and six. The Vikings, six and six. The next four games for the Cardinals, they play the Giants. Initially, the Giants were a nobody. The 49ers steamrolled them by almost 30 points, or maybe it was 30 points with Nick Mullins. The Giants just beat the Seahawks with Colt McCoy. Daniel Jones is hopefully going to play this week. Then they go to the Eagles. The Eagles have been terrible this year, but Carson Wentz, Jalen Hurts, maybe Jalen yeah. Hurts, who no, was no, just he, named starting quarterback name today. He was just named starting quarterback today. Maybe there's something going on there. Then the 49ers have a shot against the Cardinals, and then they close out with the Rams. The Vikings, they play the Buccaneers. Next week, they play Chicago. They play New Orleans. They play the Lions. Those are four respectable football teams. Yes, the Bears have downward spiraled since they lost to the Rams, but they still can compete. So, again, mathematically, there's a chance for the 49ers to sneak into the playoffs. I would not be surprised if the Cardinals crumble down the stretch. I do not trust Cliff Kingsbury. I do not trust Kyler Murray, who has a bad shoulder right now. He's not 
playing to his full capability right now right. because of that shoulder. It's lingering. It's holding him back. So maybe the Cardinals lose a surprise game. If the 49ers go 7-7 seven and seven or get to 7-7 seven and seven after beating the Washington football team, who are playing really well right now, by yeah. the way, well, well, this is just a hypothetical situation. And if they beat the Cowboys and they're 7-7, seven and seven, you get Jimmy Garoppolo and George Kittle back week 16 against the Cardinals. It Again, it's not completely out of the question. It's just not looking good. So the 49ers are going to be – like the Warriors, how the Warriors were for several years where they wouldn't make the playoffs. They would be right on the outskirts of making the playoffs, yet they would finish or they would get the 13th, 14th pick in the lottery because they weren't that bad, mm -hmm. but they weren't good enough to get into the playoffs. That's going to be the 49ers this specific year unless they can sneak into the playoffs. I'm holding out hope that it happens. The math can work out to the point where they sneak in. Yeah, they have to go undefeated the rest of the way, and that's what you have to do. Um, try to put put some hope in the in the playoff hopes, but we'll see what happens, Nick. But and and one more thing, going back to this Bills game, the Bills loss technically does not hurt the 49ers that much because it was an out of conference football game. When you look mm -hmm. ahead of the schedule, the last four games between both the Cardinals and the Vikings. And the 49ers are all within the conference. So those games carry much more weight regarding the playoff picture. And so crazier things have happened. The crazier things have happened. The play, though, with the, with the, uh, the Arizona Cardinals was like, like farther down, like the list of, of uh, who they've played against and they're against the same opponent. It would end up coming down to that so one of the games. Let's say the 49ers win out. I'm trying to pull this up as fast as I can. If the 49ers went out and they finish with a record of nine and seven, if they finish nine and seven and the Cardinals finish nine and seven right now, the one thing about the NFC West is that all teams are two and two. two, and two. So if the Cardinals lose to the 49ers and the 49ers beat the Cardinals, they would flip flop. So the 49ers are now three and two within the division. And the Cardinals are now two and three within the division. If the 49ers beat the Seahawks and the Cardinals lose to the Rams, the 49ers would not have to worry about that. But let's say both teams finish with a three and three record. The 49ers beat the Cardinals and they lose to the Seahawks. So now the 49ers are eight and eight. This is getting crazy. We're crazy deep in these playoff um, possibilities. So after division, it goes to conference record, I believe. So yeah, conference, conference record. record was determined, and right now the Cardinals are three and four, and the 49ers are three and five. But again, each team has four more games to be played within the conference. So, really, the 49ers need to beat the Cardinals. If they beat the Cardinals and they're in a position where all these tiebreakers are relevant, then that matters. But if they lose to the Cardinals and they go three and one, but the Cardinals swept the 49ers this year, they're the team yeah, that's over. going to get into the playoffs. Either, so, either, either way, either way, they have to beat the Cardinals because in order to be um, nine and seven, they have to go undefeated. You're eight and eight. You're not making the playoffs. Well, eight and eight technically could get them in. It, technically, it, technically, it could. Technically, technically, yeah, it technically. could. Well, how, how about that? If you were to tell me in – August that the 49ers fresh off their Super Bowl appearance were going to be five and seven and we're coming up with all these crazy scenarios. hypothetical scenarios where the 49ers get into the playoffs I'd be like what the hell went wrong well a lot went wrong this season 
But tip your cap to Kyle Shanahan, to Robert Sala. It was not a pretty game against the Bills, but they really kept this thing together over the course of the year. And really, they could have a better record than what they have right now when you look at the game against the Eagles. You look at the game early on against the Cardinals. But here we are, five and seven, four games left to go. We'll know within the next month as to whether or not we can keep this playoff pipe dream alive or if it's time to dig deep in a Trey Lance, who is the consensus number one go get from the Faithful Fanatic podcast. We'll conclude on that note. Thank you guys for tuning in. We This is by far the longest episode we've ever by done, far. by the way. We're, we're, we're getting close to 85 minutes here. We hope you guys have all enjoyed your Tuesday evening. We hope you enjoy the rest of your week. Thank you for tuning in.